Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Oh, man. I'm going to... Can you actually help me with this? I'm not good with these. Hold on here, just a moment. How's everybody doing today? Yeah? You can tell from my accent that I'm not from around these parts. I am, uh, I'm an American. This is actually our first time here in the UK. Uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. We've been having a wonderful time. Uh, my surname is Putman, uh, so I thought that was a common English surname. That's what was told to me. I'm finding out that's not the case, but it is an English surname. Um, so so my, my background is American. My wife, Brittany, is actually, you know, named after the island, essentially. Um, so this is long overdue, but we have been uh, loving our time here. It's been wonderful to, get, to connect with our global vineyard family. Uh, I'm also a vineyard pastor back in the U.S. Uh, I'm a part of a church in central Illinois. It's about two hours south of Chicago. Uh, I've been pastoring uh, there for about, uh, I guess it's eight years now, give or take, something like that, heading into our ninth year. Uh, I'm <clears throat> involved with a lot of different things, preaching, strategy, whatever. Um, but it's been wonderful to be here and uh, to connect with you guys. And today I want to share um, a little bit of some of the journey that I've been on um, over the last, uh, maybe, I don't know, two years, three years, um, because I, you know, what I have found is that the, the, what I can share with authority that will impart to you guys, that will bless you guys, is what God has formed in my life. It's one thing to be like, oh yeah, look, hey, this is how it's supposed to be. It's another thing to be like, this is what the story God has written in my life. I know that God wants to write some version of it in, in yours as well. And so I'm going to share a little bit of my journey here, and um, I, think, I think this is interesting. I think this is going to be helpful, I hope, both personally, like in our own personal journeys with God, um, but even just during the worship, God was talking to me about um, just how this interplays with the fact that, well, this is essentially a, I don't know, do we call it a campus plant? Church plant is sort of a little bit ambiguous. It's, it's a new church of some version, form, label, or whatever, right? And um, I just feel like it's very interesting um, that the Lord has, has kind of hooked us up, brought us here, um, and I think it's because he's got a little something he wants to say about kind of the destiny of this, this group. And so um, let's go ahead and uh, jump on in, get my notes ready here, although I don't know how much I'll be using them anyway, I don't know. <laughs> Okay, so I want to start um, by, by just kind of sharing a, a bit of the context of uh, what I'm going to talk about here. About uh, a little more than a year ago, uh, I published a book. Now, um, I'm, not, I'm not telling you this because I brought a bunch of them here to sell. I don't have any to sell, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm showing you it's real. It happened. I'm not making this up, right? Um, I published a book about a year and a half ago, and... Um, for me, publishing this book, here, let me take that back, thank you, it's his, not mine, um, <laughs> I said, get, get one and copy of my book so I can show it, so I can prove I'm not making this up. Um, I, I published this book about a year and a half ago, and for me, it was quite a journey. Now, a little bit about my background. 
Um, I, before the Lord called me into ministry, I was actually trained as a scientist. Uh, of all things, I actually have a PhD in physics. And so I was kind of headed along a little bit of a different life trajectory. Uh, the Holy Spirit came crashing into my life in a way that I did not expect. Loved your story, by the way. It was very similar to mine. Um, came crashing into my life, kind of grabbed me, shook me out of my current life and turned the course of my life, which in time uh, resulted in me becoming a pastor and so forth and so on. So that was, that was a really significant thing for me. But my background was in the sciences, and so very analytical, very logical, very, you know, all of these kinds of things. The one course that was my Achilles heel, the one that I could never get a hold of, regardless of how much I tried, was English. English was so hard for me, and every year I would double down at the beginning of the school year. I would say, okay, this is the year that I'm going to do better than a barely passing grade in English. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a hold of it this year, and so I would I would re, like read the books we were supposed to read like twice. I would write my papers and then rewrite my papers and then rewrite my papers, and just year upon year upon year, like I could never get any traction. Like I just could not figure it out. Now all of this is multiplied by the fact that my father has a master's in creative writing, and he has worked as a journalist since before I was born. And he was helping me with all of this English work. And I could still barely get above a passing grade. And so I came out of uh, high school essentially traumatized by English. I mean, really, I actually mean that. It was like, I don't know what's wrong with that subject. I can't figure it out. It's impossible. I can't do it. Ah, can't do it. Ah, that. So this is my background. Now, about maybe like three, four years ago, God starts speaking to me and saying, Putty, I'd like you to write a book. So with a background of being traumatized by English, this is my response. Here I am, Lord. Send them. <laughs> like, like, I have no interest in doing that, God. Like, that, that is not what I want to do. And now the reason I say that is this. In my experience, and I'll continue the story as we go, but in my experience... Most of us, when God is sending us into the promises and the destiny that he has on our life, most of us, it comes with a confrontation. It doesn't come with something simple. It doesn't come with something easy. It doesn't come with something comfortable. Sometimes we can kind of like pick up that picture. We can think that like, oh, God's going to bring you into your destiny and it's going to be this like peaceful, happy, quaint, you know, whatever. It, that's, not, that's not what it looks like. God's destiny for us usually looks more like opposition than it does comfort. And what I want to talk about today is the journey of learning to walk into the place of my deepest trauma and see promises come true. Because I believe, and I think what the Christian faith teaches us, is that God has promises over each one of our lives. God has promises for you. And don't think it's just churchy stuff, right? I mean, like, I'm, trust me, God wants to use you in the churchy area. But he also wants to use you in your family. He wants to use you in your workplace. He wants to use you in all the stuff that we think of as normal, non-spiritual life. Because God doesn't divide between the two like we are kind of apt to do. He sees our whole life. He wants to be a part of our whole life. And so what I want to talk about today is how do we enter into the promises that God has over our lives. So um, 
we're going to start with uh, picking up a little bit of a verse. This is our first scripture here in, in, in 1 Corinthians 10. And I'm going to have to kind of read off the screen as well. Um, so, so we'll all just kind of be doing it together. Now, um, 1 Corinthians is one of the letters written by Paul in the New Testament. Paul was a big deal guy in the first century church. And in, in context, he takes um, the, the 10 verses before this verse, and he starts talking about all kinds of stuff that happened in Israelite history. Specifically, he's referring to that whole story that happens where Moses shows up and kind of delivers the people from Pharaoh and that whole thing. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. But he lists a bunch of specifics. There's an instance where, like, water comes out of a rock. There's an instance where they uh, wind up accidentally, you know, kind of worshiping a foreign god, and then stuff goes bad. And So he kind of pulls up a bunch of these examples. And then he concludes by giving us this verse. He says this, These things happened to them as examples, and they were written down as warnings for us on whom the accumulation of the ages has, or culmination, culmination of the ages has come, right? So what Paul is saying is this. He's saying, look, the Israelite history is there because it can teach us the ways of faith. It's not just a bunch of stories that, you know, oh, it's interesting, this is ancient history, blah, 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 whatever. It's there so that we can look at them and learn about our journey of faith as well. The ways of faith, in a sense, haven't, haven't changed. Faith sort of works a, a lot the same then and now, so we can look at them and learn about what we have, which is now completed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So... What I want to do then is I want to ask this. What was the journey that the Israelites had into the promised land? Because what we're asking today is this. How do we get to our own promised land? The place where we're living out the promises of God in our life. The Israelites took a journey into the promises God had for them, and that can be our own instruction as well. And so what, what I'm going to do is, is we're going to look at that, and I want to kind of talk about it big picture and then zoom in a little bit. So big picture, there's kind of three phases that happen with the Israelites. It begins with the Israelites being Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. They have basically been his workforce for like hundreds of years and the work gets kind of harder and worse and, and more and more difficult. And they start crying out to God. They say, God, you know, we thought you were our God. Like, we were your people. Where did you go? We're being abused by this Pharaoh guy. Come and help us. And so God raises this guy Moses up, who's like hanging out in the backside of a desert, watching sheep. He has this whole encounter with the burning bush. You may have heard that story before. And God says, hey, go and confront Pharaoh and tell him to let the Israelites go, and they're going to leave Egypt. Now, I, I do want to put this in a bit of context here. This is an extremely dramatic event that's happening. Sometimes, when we interact with the Bible, because like the language can feel a bit old, or we've heard the story so many times, we can be like, oh yeah, whatever, Bible story, blah, 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 blah. Pharaoh is the most powerful person on the planet. He's a despot. He's a world despot. And Moses 
some guy, some shepherd guy from the back of the desert is going in to the world's biggest despot saying, I'm taking your slave force with me. Right? This is a dramatic, crazy moment. And the first thing that happens, there's this whole, like, interesting interchange. You know, of course, Pharaoh's like, yeah, yeah, right, you're doing that. And there's this kind of showdown that happens back and forth. There's ten plagues that happen. The river turns into blood, and there's frogs and gnats and all kinds of crazy stuff. You can read it or watch movies about it. Many have been made. So the first thing that happens, the first step sort of in the, in the overall scheme is, is a deliverance, an exodus from Egypt. God shows up. There's a supernatural showdown. The chains of their slavery are broken, you might say, and they're delivered from Egypt. That's kind of step one. Step two is God calls them to Mount Sinai. So he, he brings them out of Egypt. They wander through the desert. There's a whole parting of the Red Sea, that whole thing. And he brings them to Mount Sinai. And they actually spend a year at Mount Sinai. This is kind of like one of those details where if we're reading it, we may not catch. They spend a year at Mount Sinai. And while they're there, God teaches them all kinds of fascinating things. He gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and there's some interesting stories that happen there. They build the tabernacle. And what we wind up seeing is, this is the place where God kind of invests into the Israelites and helps build them into the nation that he wants them to be. He says, this is the way that I want you to do society. These are the laws I want you to have. This is the, 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 the tabernacle I want you to construct. And, and he doesn't just, in a sense, call them out of Egypt, but here he calls them to himself. And so he pours into them, he invests in them, all of that. And all of that happens for about a year. And then after a year, they begin to, to transition into the, the third phase, which is entering into the promised land. And there's a whole story that happens as they begin to make their way towards the promised land, and that's what I want to really focus on today. How did they transition from kind of two to three, from Mount Sinai into the promised land? Now, the reason I want to do this is this. Remember, all of uh, the, well, the scripture we just read says that all of this is an example for us. So the reason I'm bringing this up and kind of pulling all this out is this. We go through the same three phases in our journey. When it comes to our journey of faith, we usually start, overwhelming majority of us start, with some kind of a deliverance from Egypt type example. We hit a place where we realize the way we're doing life isn't working anymore. We're caught up in, in bondage and slavery of some form. It's an addiction we can't break, or our finances are out of control, or our health plummets, or whatever situation it is that causes us to come to the point where, like the Israelites, we go, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. We call out to God, and God shows up in power in our life in some way. He breaks the chains. He sets us free from the addiction. He forgives our sin. We, we come to know him, and, and all of a sudden, it's like we're delivered from something we couldn't do on our own. It's the beginning of our Christian faith. And it's an exciting, amazing time. And as vineyard folk, like, we love the stuff that God does in, in that deliverance season. That's where people get healed. That's where people get delivered. That's where people get set free. It's like, awesome. Like, I love that stuff. I love that stuff. 
And you can tell when someone is in, in, in that kind of exodus journey in their life because their spiritual life is like up here. Like, like, the, like you know, kind of what we saw with the people that went to the conference, they're sort of like buzzing, you know? It's like that. It's like, God's amazing. I, I didn't realize this is what everybody was so excited about. This is worth being so excited about. This is amazing, you know? And they're just, Whoa. it's great, right? So, so we, we, we are delivered from our own personal Egypt, you might say. But in time, God brings us through into another season, a season that we might call our own Mount Sinai, our own meeting with God in the wilderness. What happens is, he says, okay, now here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm, I love to deliver you from the world, but I also want you to come to know me personally. And so he shifts the focus, and the focus begins between God and us building our own connection and personal relationship with God. We actually know him. We learn how to hear his voice. We learn how to interact with the scriptures. We learn how to conform our life to his design. And, and things like obedience and character begin to get formed in our lives. And all of these, these wonderful things over here. When we're in, in the Egypt phase, deliverance from Egypt, like all of that, it's not that it's not on the table, but it's just not the focus. It's not like the, the primary thing that God is doing in our life. Over here, it's like God shows up and we just get stuff for free. Kind of, is what it feels like. And then God says, okay, now here's the thing. I want this relationship to be both ways. Like, I'm happy to give to you, but I want a relationship, not a one-way thing where I'm just your magic eight ball blessing your life all the time. And so he calls us out of the world to himself. Now, I'll give you the sign. This is the, this is the language people use in the U.S. Maybe it's different here in the U.K. I don't know. No one's confirmed or unconfirmed it to me. But in the U.S., what the, the transition between Egypt and Mount Sinai, people start saying things like this. I just don't get fed at my church like I used to. Take from the chuckle. Some people have heard that before. Because what's happening is this. When you're in Egypt... God does all the work. He just feeds you. So you show up at church, and it just so happens that the pastor is giving the exact message that you needed for that week, you know, or whatever it is. But when you come to Mount Sinai, God allows some of that to dry up a little bit because he says, I want you to learn how to get it for yourself. I want you to learn how to interact with me and know me yourself. And so it kind of dries up a little bit. Church feels a little bit less fun, feels a little bit less exciting, a little bit less like it's fulfilling all of your personal needs because God wants you to learn to do that with him directly. Unfortunately, in the States, I don't know how it works here, but in the States, usually at about that point where people say, my church isn't feeding me the way I like to, they just switch churches. And it turns out that's not going to help you at all. Because it's actually a spiritual season God's bringing you in. You might kind of forget about it for about six months, but then you'll find yourself back in the same place, and you'll have a lot less friends because you're in a new church. So it's not going to help you. I'm just, just saying. Just saying what it is. I've seen it happen. <laughs> I'm a pastor. So, so okay, so we're, we're in Mount Sinai. We're receiving from the Lord. We're, we're connecting with him. We're following him. We're conforming our life to his, his design and his plan. <clears throat> All of that happens... But again, that's not actually the end. The end result is not just that God wants to know you personally. He does. He absolutely does. But in time, he wants to bring you into the land of the promises. And so in time, again, this season kind of dries up. 
And this is the language that I'll hear in the States. People will say things like this. Well, I'm just going through a dry season. I used to have such intimacy with the Lord. He used to just meet me in the, in the secret place, and it was this beautiful stuff. It was just him and me, and now I'm not sure where he went. Well, the answer is he went to the next season, and he's waiting for you to join him there. That's, that's actually what winds up happening. Some of you guys are nodding because you know what that looks like. Because, you see, the thing about Mount Sinai is this. It's just you and God, and the world is sort of out there somewhere. But God's heart is for the world. It's not just for you personally. It's for the world. And so he calls us in time into the promised land because in the promised land, there's a re-engagement with the world. But the difference is, back in Egypt, the world was dominating us. So God had to show up and break our chains and set us free. Then he brings us to Mount Sinai where the world is gone, out of the equation, so he can form things in us. In the promised land, he calls us back into the world out of the strength that's been formed in us in the previous season. So now we can re-engage with something to give, not worried about being dominated like we were back in Egypt. The Lord has formed something in me, and now I have something to bring to the world of him to give away. And so he calls us into our own kind of personal promised land, you might say. Now, my experience is, at least in the States, where the church is great at those first two seasons, but it can be difficult to help people cross into that third season. And there's this interesting interchange that happens with the Israelites as they begin to cross into that last season that I want to take a look at this morning. Now, it happens in everyone's absolute favorite book in the Bible, Numbers. I know you've all been doing your daily devotions and numbers for the last year, um, but this is, this is a fascinating story and a very important one to teach us how to cross into the, the promises that God is calling us to. So we're going to start with um, Numbers 13, verse 1 and 2. And you may have heard this story before, so if you have, hopefully it'll, it'll, it'll come back. So what happens is God brings the Israelites right up to the edge of the promised land. They're like standing on the edge of the river Jordan. And when they cross that river, they're going to be in the promised land. And when they get there, this is what happens. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan. That's the promised land where they're headed. Which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. So they get up to the edge of the promised land, and here's the thing I want you to capture from this verse. This is important. God tells them, send some people ahead. This isn't Moses' idea. This isn't the people, like, acting out of unbelief or something like that. This is God saying, now, I want something to happen here, so send some people ahead. So they send some people ahead. They send 12, because there's, there's 12 tribes of Israel. They send 12 spies, and they go over there, and they hang out for a little more than a month. They go up and down all over the place, and they, they scope out the land, as it were. When they return, here's what happens. Next scripture. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So actually came back with, here's some, of the, here's some of the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. 
we went into the land which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. So the spies come back after 40 days, and they have a mixed report. The first thing they say is, guys, the land is amazing. Here, look at the fruit. This fruit is unbelievable, right? It must have been kind of unbelievable, or they wouldn't have brought it back, right? I mean, if it was the same, they would have been like, oh, yeah, the fruit's good, right? But they actually had to bring something back to show them because they knew, if I just tell you, you're not going to believe what I'm going to say, right? So look at this fruit. It's unbelievable. And, and the land flows with milk and honey. Now, I've always thought that sounds sort of gross, you know, like, I don't want a land where there's like a milk stream, you know, or whatever. So it's kind of gross. But I'm assuming in a world pre-refrigeration that essentially what they're saying is there's sort of abundance and delicacy for everyone, right? Because back then you only had milk if you had a cow. You only had honey if you were so lucky to have a beehive on your property. So the whole land is filled with the best. But there's a problem. You see, first of all, the cities are, like, really fortified. So we're not just trying to take down towns. They've got castles, right? And we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, that's kind of weird biblical speak. What does that mean? Well, if you root around a little bit in the Old Testament, what you'll find is the descendants of Anak were, were giants. So in other words, translated into modern parlance, they have super soldiers, that's what they're saying, right? They've got, they've, or they're well fortified and they've got super soldiers. We don't stand a chance. This isn't going to be good. So the spies come back with a mixed report. In fact, I might just sum it up as this. And I think this is the, the key thing that I want you to know. When you're crossing into your promised land, God's going to confront you with a beautiful impossibility. That's what the spies come back and say. It's beautiful. The fruit is unbelievable. There's delicacies, but it's also impossible. And he's going to make sure that you see both. Remember, this was God's plan. This was God's idea. He knew a mixed report was on the way. He orchestrated it. So he comes back, or so they, they come back. They report this beautiful impossibility. Well, here, let's, look at, let's look at the responses to this beautiful impossibility. And this helps us see why God does this. So <clears throat> the first response, I believe, is the people. Yeah, here we go. Here's what the majority of people do. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So the people hear the report, the beautiful impossibility. And you know what they see? The impossible. There's no mention of the beauty in their response. All they see is the impossibility. And, and, and if you look at it, it doesn't make any sense. They're like, we wish we were already dead. This is what they say, right? It's like, wow, okay, they, this must be really awful if that's their response. And so the people, when confronted with the beautiful impossibility, they only see the impossibility. The beauty disappears. 
Whereas Joshua and Caleb have a different response, which I think is fascinating. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunapheth or something, they were two of the spies, just by the way, right? Two of the spies who were among those who explored the land. They tore their clothes and they said to the entire Israeli assembly, the land that we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. What are they seeing? The beautiful. It's exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. When confronted with the exact same beautiful impossibility, Joshua and Caleb see the beautiful, not the impossible. Here's what God knows about the promised land. Our promised land is filled with giants. Our promised land is not a cushy, comfortable Christian vacation. That's not the promised land for us. The Israelites systematically battled their way through the promised land. And when you're in the land of promise and you're staring down a giant... If your faith wavers, you're going to die. I I just mean that. If your faith wavers, you're going to die in that moment. There are consequences to not being formed in faith in the promised land. And so what God does is he waltzes into our life a beautiful impossibility, and he allows what's in our heart to respond with that dilemma. If we've learned the lesson of Mount Sinai, you know what our response will be? We'll see the beautiful. Why? Because what's been formed in us will make it inconceivable to us to imagine being over there without God. That's the response you see. Guys, the Lord will be with us. The impossible doesn't matter because all things are possible with God. How could you possibly see this without God in the equation? That doesn't make any sense. But if we've not been formed in what God has for us in our Mount Sinai season, then we're going to look at this and we're going to respond to the impossible. We'll get uncomfortable, we'll get fearful, we'll get nervous, we'll get afraid, we'll get whatever. And the result is this. Here's what happens. You know, surprise of surprises, the uh, voice of the entire rest of the nation overpowers the two. And so God says, all right, well, if that's where you're at, then here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to the last season. We're going to go wander around the desert until you learn the lesson of Mount Sinai. And so he sends them back to the previous season and they take a generation to learn the lesson of faith that God was trying to impart to them. Now, of course, they do what many of us do as soon as God says that. We're not going to read the scripture because um, it'll take a little bit of time, but it's one of the closing, it's like the closing segment of chapter 14, if I remember correctly. They basically go this. God says, okay, well then let's go back to the wilderness. And they go, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry, that's right, that's the wrong answer. Yeah, of course we trust you. Of course we believe in you. Yeah, we'll go to the promised land. What are they trying to do? They're trying to summon up faith. They're trying to create faith. Only it's not going to work. 
Because you're not the author and perfecter of your faith. Jesus is. And so they say, we'll go, we'll go, we'll go. And Moses says, I don't think that's a good idea. And they, they go anyway. And you know what happens? They get slaughtered. Because they tried to face down the giants when they weren't formed in faith. And they paid the price. And so God sends them back into the wilderness until they learned the lesson. And you know who leads them into the promised land? Joshua. The one who had learned the lesson. The one who had been formed in faith. Because it's that being formed in faith that allows us to move into the place of our promises. So God starts speaking to me about writing a book. God! This is me being confronted with a beautiful impossibility. Who wouldn't want to write a book? That's cool, right? Wouldn't that be fun? Of course you'd want to write a book. But you know what I see? The impossible. I can't do that, God. Are you kidding me? There's a lot better qualified people. I am not it, God. I am not it. And so you know what I do? I do the same thing we all do. I pretend I didn't hear him. <laughs> you know? Like maybe he'll think it missed. <laughs> And so I kind of go about my, my, my life ignoring what God is saying, trying to, to push it aside. And, and God keeps saying it and keeps saying it, and I keep ignoring it and keep ignoring it. And, and God gets more and more insistent. And at one point, people just start walking up to me with pens. And they're like, God, God told me to give this to you. I, I don't know what it's about, but I hope that means something to you. Right? And of course I know exactly what it's about, you know. So someone gives me a pen, and I, and, I, and I ignore it. Someone gives me a pen a second time, and I, and I say, okay, fine, God. When I get the third pen, we'll talk about it, right? <laughs> oh, me of so much faith, right? We're all the same. It's okay. God knows all that. <clears throat> someone comes and gives me the third pen. Actually, do you guys know who Robbie Dawkins is? Is he well-known here on here? It was actually Robbie Dawkins. He's a friend of mine. He comes back from Mr. Trip and gives me a pen, and I'm like, okay, Lord, okay, fine, 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 fine. So I, I said, God, we got to have a conversation about this. Because what you're telling me to do, I can't do. And, like, apparently it's a little bit in my heart to be disobedient, but it's also in my heart to be obedient. So if you want to send me into that promised land, I need something I don't have right now. And we began to talk a little bit. Now, I, I do want to say this. Whenever a preacher talks about talking to God... There can be this tendency for it to come across as if there's like this open hotline to God all the time. Okay, I just want to say, like, at least that's not my experience. Maybe it is for some other people or something, but I'm pretty sure it just sounds like that. The reality is, is it's confusing and difficult for all of us. Okay, so if it's confusing and difficult for you, that's okay. <laughs> so, so I begin to try and talk with God about this. And, and at one point, it was like, okay, like, you know, some point, something clicks into clarity a little bit. And I have the, kind of the following conversation with God. I said, God, I don't know what I need, but I need something I don't have. And God said, Putty, you, you know what your problem is? You think you don't know how to write a book. And I said, yes, Lord, that's exactly the problem. Like, <laughs> we're finally on the same page about this. I don't know how to write a book. And he said, you see, Putty, the thing is, is you don't need to know how to write a book. And I said, what? <laughs> he said, Putty, I wrote a book. In fact, I wrote 66 books. And those 66 books are the bestseller of all time. <laughs> I know how to write a book. 
you don't need to know how to write a book because we're going to do it together. And if you'll write this book with me, I'll cover the things you don't know. You know what happened in that conversation? I came to know God as the Lord, my author. And that was everything I needed to begin to cross over into the promised land. That conversation, night and day shift, and now all of a sudden, I can begin to plow forward into what God has for me. But the reason why was because God connected me in a personal way to the fact that what was in the promised land lived in his heart before it did in mine. God wasn't calling me to something he didn't care about. God's been invested in the written word for thousands of years. He's been thinking about this long before I did. He wasn't just delegating me a task. He was inviting me into a partnership. And it lived in his heart long before he ever began to share it with me. Many of us have been confronted by beautiful impossibilities in our lives. And like me, many of us see the impossible more than the beautiful. Many of us respond with uncomfort and fear and trying to ignore God and all the, all the things that I did. You've got your own version of it, but it's essentially the same. And if that's where you're at, that's okay, first of all. I want to say that. Like, God's all right with us having this confrontation. That's why he made a road back to the last season right? He's like, you're a human being. I get it. Like, I made you. I know you're not perfect. It's all right, right? So it's okay if that's where we're at. What I want to tell you is this. If that's the case, and if that's how you're responding, then indeed go back to Mount Sinai and realize that what you need is something personal with you and the Lord that you're lacking to cross the Jordan River. And when that gets established in your life, you'll have what you need over there. You will. The, the process of writing a book is excruciating. It's excruciating. You, 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 you have to prepare things like a book proposal where you, here's all the reasons why you should publish my book. And then you, you, they send it to what's called a pub board where they come, they, they gather all these different proposals from all these different authors and they slice and they dice you and they say, here's, here's why we think your book won't work and whatever and all of this stuff. It is a grueling battle to get through the process. It wasn't like snap my fingers and everything was easy. It was tough and it took years. But how would I need it? Because I'd been connected to something in the Lord. And when you're connected with something in the Lord, that's what provides the gas for you to be able to make it into the next season. Let's have everybody stand. Ooh, look at that worship team. Well prepared. So I want to pray over over this whole thing in two ways. And the first, the starting point, has to do with you personally. So here's what I want to do. Just want everybody just kind of close your eyes, put out your hands, okay? Because I believe, as, as we started with, God has promises for each one of us. Now, some of us might feel like, I don't know what those promises are. And that's okay. That's totally okay. 
God, would you begin to reveal your promises, Lord, to those of us that need to hear them? And by the way, this whole thing's a cycle. So just because you've fulfilled some promises doesn't mean there's not more to come. And so, Lord, you know, those of us that need to hear your promises today, would you begin to open our ears to them? God, would you, would you begin to, to speak them into our hearts? Would you begin to put them on the lips of your people and have them prophesy to us? Lord, we're open to hearing your voice. We receive your promises. I bless you. May you have ears to hear what the Father is saying to you. Some of us right now are, are in the season of Mount Sinai where the Lord is, is calling us into investing in that personal connection and that personal relationship with him. And if that's where you're at, I just bless you. May the Lord's presence be with you as you engage, as you connect with him. May he, may he be close. May his voice be loud. May you learn to hear him. May you learn to see him in the scriptures. May you learn to worship in spirit and in truth. May the secret place be the most precious and beautiful place in your life. I bless that to you in Jesus' name. And some of us are, are facing down our, our beautiful impossibility and we're stalled there. God, if, if that's where we're at, I'm asking, would you, would you begin to reveal to us what we're missing from the season before so that we can cross? Lord, we, we all want to live out the destiny you have on our lives. That's why we're taking our Sunday morning to be here instead of sleeping in. <laughs> Lord, would you, would you sow into our lives, would you sow into our hearts the personal way that we need to know you? Some of you guys have promises that are, are in the area of your family. Redemption, things that were never given into your life that God said, I'm, I want to make your family a picture of something. May you know the Father who sent a Son. The one from whom all fatherhood is named. The one from whom all family generates. May you know God as the source of family. Some of you, the Lord has promises over you in the area of your workplace. Maybe it's influencing your workplace for the things of the kingdom. Maybe it's, maybe it's just that the Lord has like... Uh, innovations and, and, and things like that in your workplace that, you know, maybe it never even results in someone coming to faith, but it's just about God releasing things through you. May you know God as the one who created all of industry and all of society, who made 12 tribes in Israel and only one of them was the church. The other 11 had just as much to contribute. May you come to know God as creator, God as designer, God as the ultimate quality control in the universe, God as the ultimate leader, God as the ultimate whatever it is, the ultimate server, the ultimate whatever it is for you. May, may that begin to become known personally in your heart. I bless that to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, some people in here are on the battlefield. And they're a bit weary because giants, even in faith, can be exhausting. Lord, would you renew their strength? You were the one that promised that we would rise up as on eagle's wings, 
that we would run and not grow weary, we would walk and not faint. Lord, would your strength and your energy empower us to stay in the fight, to stay in the fight. Like Ephesians says, Lord, having put on the full armor of God, help us to stand firm and not be moved. I bless you. Receive the strengthening of the Lord in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And there's one more thing I want to do here. I realize some of you guys may be from like either other church communities or maybe you're kind of just checking this church community out. You, you haven't really decided whether this is a, a family of faith for you or not. But here's what I'd like to do. If, if you are committed to this church family, I'd like you to stay standing. And if not, I'd like to ask you if you'd just be willing to sit briefly here. I want to specifically pray, specifically pray for them. No, no, no problem if that's not where you're at. No, no tension, no shame, no whatever. But as we were worshiping, I just felt the Lord begin to speak to me about this specific community, Battersea. And, and I and I, I took some time, actually, um, and I looked up this community on Wikipedia, and I kind of scanned it a little bit. <laughs> and, I, and I just said, Lord, like, what, what are you doing here? Like, first of all, like, it's really weird that we're here this morning, and that this church is four weekends old. And, you know, all of us, like, this is not normal. Like, what are you doing here? And I felt like, as I scanned through that, that article, I felt like the Lord said that this, this community, Battersea, has been, it's been assigned kind of like a measure of, uh, a measure of glory, you might even say, of prominence and, and of significance. This is a place that, that has done a, a lot of incredible things, honestly. I mean, hundreds of years ago, some of you guys might know this, but hundreds of years ago, this was like a significant power source for a lot of London. This is a significant connection place, the train hubs and all of that. This is actually a significant political place with, you know, a lot of, I don't, we might say political innovation or something like that. <laughs> And what's happening is there's, there's elements where the destiny that's assigned to the city is playing out in the natural. But I felt like what God said is that the, the glory, the assignment on this community, there's, there's kingdom battle over that. And the extent to which the church cannot stand and support that glory, the enemy will come in and will hijack it. And so that's the reason why, even though this is an amazing community, it's also a community that's fighting crime. It's also a community that's fighting drugs. It's the, the, the scope is set to be high, whether for good or for bad. And I felt like you guys as a community have an assignment to begin to take some of that glory that's been assigned to this community and bring it back into the things of the kingdom. That's why you guys are here. That's why this church plant is here. That's why the Lord has brought me here on this Sunday to release this word to you guys and to pray over you for that assignment. And so, Father, I bless this church. I bless this community. I bless that these guys are here not to just be the best church in Battersea, but the best church for Battersea. And this is exactly what the Lord is talking about here. 
And I bless you guys to take the assignment that's on this community, the assignment of power, the assignment of connection, the assignment of innovation, the assignment of influence, and to, and to have that assignment fulfilled in the kingdom of light instead of darkness. I bless you. I bless you to take that assignment and to live it out. And as that happens, you'll see the, the way the enemy has hijacked that begin to crumble. You'll see that thing begin to fall apart because that space is taken back for the kingdom of God. And so, Father, I'm asking right now, would you give them everything they need to do that? Would you give them everything they need to do that, God? Give them authority in the Spirit. Give them power. Give them connections. Give them influence. Give them ideas. Give them vision. Give them dreams. Give them faith. Give them hope. Give them patience. Give them perseverance. And everything else I can't think of, God. They're probably going to need all of that and more. All of that and more. Father, would you impart that to them, Lord? And may this become a place, God, a community that looks like your picture of Battersea, God. Right now, Lord, we just submit this community to you. We say, Lord, we're here that it would become what you want it to be. Here we are, Lord, even confronted by beautiful impossibility right now. I'm asking, God, would you sow into our hearts what we need to see that we could see this city become your beautiful picture of it. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.